Please have a seat. Great to see you this morning. Franklin D. Roosevelt, uh, former president of the United States of America, used to have a little ritual with a friend of his called William Beebe, who was a naturalist. Just in case you're wondering, they're the ones who do wear clothes that are interested in plants. After dinner together, the two men would go outside and look up into the night sky, and they would find the left-hand corner of the constellation of Pegasus, and one of them would then recite these words. That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of a hundred billion suns, each one larger than our sun. Then they would pause for a few moments, and Roosevelt would finally say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. Science is a God-given discipline which helps us to marvel at the glory of God, our Creator. Genesis and the books of the Old Testament, which the books that follow Genesis as well, they aren't so concerned about how the cosmos began or how it works. They focus instead on the story of God at work in the world among His people. And so all the peoples of the ancient world they had their own belief systems, they had their own gods, which were idols, which supposedly worked for the benefit of that nation, that particular people group. But none of these other nations claimed that their, that their god was the god of every other nation. There was only one nation on earth. It was a small, tiny, seemingly insignificant little nation, they alone claimed that their God was the God of everyone and everything. It was a staggering claim. So Genesis begins not with Abraham, the father of the nation, but with the creation narratives of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and then the generations leading up to Abraham. Then the Lord tells Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed through you. We're so familiar with the story, perhaps we, we don't grasp the, the gravity and the, the amazing nature of God whispering into the ear and heart of a nomad in the Middle East who had no children who owned no land, and saying to him, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. At the end of Genesis, Abram's grandson, Jacob, renamed Israel, issues his last words to his 12 sons, including these words to Judah, telling of a great king among his descendants, whom God will use as the agent of his saving work to bless all nations. Jacob said, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The passage from being an extended family to a nation is not an easy one for Israel. God's people 
now numerous, emerged from slavery in Egypt and are shaped by 40 years in the wilderness before entering the land that's been promised to them. They are to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests representing God to the nations of the world. The plan being that as Gentiles see what God is doing in Israel, they'll be drawn to the Lord Himself. This can be seen as happening in, through people like Rahab from Jericho, Ruth the Moabite, the Queen of Sheba, and Naaman the Aramite. But the examples are all too few. As we read immersed kingdoms in recent months, Israel and Judah seem to be as corrupt as other nations. And so, as we've read in immersed prophets these last eight weeks, the Lord begins to warn His people through His messengers, the prophets. The Israelites are the focus of the prophets' messages, but the nations also feature prominently, not least as the instruments by which the Lord puts things right in Israel and Judah. But the Lord then also acts to put things right in all the world among all these other nations because not only does He love His treasured possession, Israel, He loves every nation that He's made. He loves everything that He's made. Isaiah describes the day when many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The king of David's line will rule Israel and all people, and the suffering servant, Isaiah prophesies, will establish justice throughout all the world, so that the Lord commissions His suffering servant, saying, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring those back to Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so the Lord calls a man called Jonah to be involved in bringing his salvation to those ends of the earth, in particular to Nineveh, the capital of the Syrian Empire, by proclaiming a warning of Nineveh's… I got this wrong at the last service too, it's a bit of a tongue tire. Nineveh's imminent destruction due to its wickedness. But Jonah refuses to go. He's afraid that the Syrians, which are Israel's enemies, will repent. He knows the Lord. He declares, as the Lord declared to Moses, that he is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And so Jonah's concern is if he goes and proclaims the message, the people will repent and the Lord will not punish them. And so Jonah disobeys. He turns away and he heads in exactly the opposite direction. He takes a boat for Tarshish. Jonah's experiences seem to mirror those of Israel. His leaving the land being swallowed up by a great fish, and being deposited back on the land appear to symbolize Israel's exile and return. There's been much written about why was it that so quickly the people of Nineveh turned and repented after hearing 
the, the short message that Jonah declared. 40 years, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the Ninevites from the top to the bottom, from the king throughout all society, put on burlap and repented of their sins. One of the many gods of the Ninevites was the fish god Dagon. He was, he was half man, half fish. The Ninevites had over 2,400 gods, but one of the most prominent ones was Dagon. Some writers have wondered, well, what if someone turned up in their midst looking pale and smelling of fish and declaring the fact that they'd been in the belly of a fish for three days and they'd come to declare as an Israelite among their sworn enemies that in 40 days' time, judgment was going to fall in the city. Those writers have wondered, well, it's no wonder that people turned to God when they smelt the fish and they saw the man called Jonah. This time Jonah, having been spat up on the beach, obeys. The Ninevites turn from their wickedness, and exactly the thing that Jonah feared happens. God relents of his judgment, and he spares 120,000 Ninevites, just as Jonah feared. The final words of the book of the prophet Jonah are those of the Lord, and they form a hope-filled conclusion to our reading of these last eight weeks in Immersed Prophets. The Lord saying, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? About 15 years ago, we had a church weekend in Newcastle. One morning, Ivan and Val Dunn who were part of this church for many decades and are now in the closer presence of the Lord, came to tell me that as they'd been praying that morning, they sensed the Lord saying something to them that they wanted to share. Val sometimes received vivid pictures from the Lord, and she shared what she had seen that morning, although she had no idea what it meant. In this scene, she saw a man waking up on a beach with his face in the sand. And as he lifted his head, the sun above him was so blinding that he could hardly open his eyes. Nonetheless, he stood up on his feet and was aware of the tremendous heat of the sun. As Val spoke, the Lord immediately showed me what the vision meant. As a church, we were like Jonah just having been spat up on the beach, having emerged from the cold, dark belly of the big fish, we were experiencing the light and the heat of the sun as if it was for the first time. And the Lord was saying to us as a church, I'm giving you a second chance. The message was both hope imparting and also deeply challenging. We had been judged for disobeying the Lord's call to go out with his message. So we endeavored to obey his call. We repented of being inactive. 
A few years later, the select vestry spent an evening praying around the inside of this church and seeking fresh vision for the way ahead. When we came together over in the side room, which are now the offices, we shared what we'd sensed the Lord was saying to us. And Val again spoke and said, I think we should all kneel down, hold hands, and pray, Lord, do whatever it takes. Several weeks later, in the early hours of the 7th of June 2012, this church building was gutted by fire. And so we sought to listen to the Lord afresh, and we renovated this church building to be a seven-day-a-week hub for worship, prayer, teaching, mission, and most of all, mission in the center of Bangor. And the building was reopened in April 2014. And there was a great sense of the Lord doing a new thing among us. Then, in early 2020, something much bigger happened. A global pandemic with lockdowns. And in those months, the Lord spoke to us again. And this time he said, get yourself out of the building. And so over these last years, particularly, we have endeavored to do that. Last year, Bangor was made a city, and so those words of the Lord seem so pertinent to us. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? This city was once so significant globally that it was seen as the center of Christianity in the whole world. And yet today, there are so many places of darkness in need. We are here to bring new life to this new city. What good news we have in embodying and also proclaiming the good news of Christ, the true Israel, the suffering servant, who came as the prophets foretold to rule over all. He was rejected by his own people, Israel, and crucified. And he's been resurrected and is alive today. The kingdom was also offered to us Gentiles in Christ, as Peter wrote in the New Testament. We are a chosen people. We are the royal priests. We are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, we can show others the goodness of God, for He called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. We are to be a holy people showing the world what it looks like to live together in the presence of the Lord and under His protection and blessing. We are to be holy hope bringers, to speak to God about people and to speak to people about God. Over these last 19 years that we as a family have been here, I have become more and more convinced, and particularly as we have read the prophets over these last eight weeks, that just as the Lord sought to put things right in Israel for the sake of the nations, so the Lord seeks to put things right in His church for the sake of the world. You and I are called as the people of God to be like a seed like Christ, willing to be buried, put in the ground, forgotten and thought of as nothing. 
that new life would spring up. That in the place of sacrificial love and giving, that the kingdom would break out by the power of the Holy Spirit and people would be drawn to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the calling that the Lord has on His church throughout the whole world. That's what it means when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, my agenda, my preferences, my will, that's not what matters. It's your kingdom we want to come. It's your will we want to be done. You and I have been saved for a purpose. We've been, recon we've been reconciled to God for a reason. And it is one of great privilege and great responsibility. It is to, it's to bring the gospel of Christ in who we are and in what we say to this city of Bangor and beyond. That no one of the 80,000 residents in Bangor should be in any doubt that there is a God in heaven called Jesus Christ who can heal the sick and raise the dead and transform lives, can help people to bring, come off addictions, can stop abuse, domestic abuse happening in families, can end trafficking and prostitution in Bangor. As Johnny said when he prayed at the last service and named a list of all sorts of problems there are that we see on the news in the United Kingdom, those very things are all happening within meters of our door here in Bangor. And the Lord is saying to us afresh as, as his people, I am with you. I am here to transform this city and to transform this nation, and I have chosen you as the people who are going to do it. One of the other pictures that we received from a number of people over a number of years independently, and, and one was uh, through Cynthia Neal who helped to uh, design the, the renovation and refurbishment of this building. And she had a picture, a vivid picture, of Bangor Parish being the tip of an arrow. And perhaps it related to the fact that we're, we're at this, as it were, a geographical tip of a triangle of an arrow in the center of Bangor. And over a number of years, three people independently came to us and said, I have this picture of Bangor Parish Church. And the thing that struck us was, it was a call, first of all, to humility. The very tip of an arrow is very small. But it is the forefront of what God is doing in this city. And the arrow itself are all the believers of God. And there are many thousands of them in this city. And the Lord wants to put his love directly into the very heart of this city. It's been wonderful to see how we've been doing that in the Lord's strength and increasingly stepping into it through We Are With You and Alpha Courses and Praying on the Street and Harbor and Giveaways and uh, Mission Overseas and all sorts of different things that have been happening. And we're seeking again and again to do this in the midst of our community. But the most powerful impact that we will have is not through any organized mission or ministry in this church. 
It's through how you and I live in our schools and colleges and families and neighborhoods. That is where the big win will happen. All the things that we do together as mission in this church, our prayer is always that they will act as a catalyst to something that is much bigger. And the much bigger thing is you and I embodying the witness of Christ in our everyday situations. Speaking words of encouragement and love and hope and praying and seeing people come to Christ and families reconciled and marriages restored and people healed and poverty alleviated and prostitution and trafficking ended and domestic abuse come to an end. These are the things that we long to see happen in our community. Are you willing to be part of what the Lord is doing as we go forward? Are you willing for the Lord to use us as his people at the tip of an arrow, a place of sharpness, a place of pressure, but a place of glorious breakthrough? I believe that's who the Lord has called us to be. Shall we stand together? I'm going to ask Johnny to come.